0: The Bible reading comes from John chapter 20, verses 1 to 18. You can follow along in your own Bibles, or it will be on the screen. So John chapter 20, from verse one. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, "'They have taken the Lord out of the tomb And we don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to where they were staying. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white, seated where jesus body had been one at the head and the other at the foot they asked her woman why are you crying they have taken my lord away she said and i don't know where they have put him at this she turned around and saw jesus standing there but she did not realize that it was jesus he asked her woman why are you crying who is it you are looking for thinking he was a gardener she said sir Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord, and she told them that he had said these things to her.
1: Good evening everybody, wonderful to see you all here on Easter Sunday. Uh, For those that don't know me, I'm Matt, I've been around for a little while and one of the pastors here. If you um, got to celebrate Easter with your family or whatever you got to do today, I hope it was an encouragement to you as you got to celebrate uh, the Lord Jesus rising from the dead. We are going to approach uh, his word as we we like to do because it's a wonderful thing. So before we do, though, I'm going to pray. Please do pray with me. Our good and gracious God, firstly, we thank you so much for the Lord Jesus. I thank you that you sent your Son willingly. I thank you that he died for us on that cross and that you rose him. Rose, he, rose, he rose again in victory. Thank you so much, Father. We pray that as we approach your word, that it will be powerful for us. Uh, that you will speak to us through it, that you speak through me, your truth, and that it will apply directly to us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. As you can see on the screen, this is the hope of Easter. Now, hope is a pretty, it's a cool thing, isn't it? We all indeed want, uh, and we kind of like need hope, uh, don't we? Last year and a year before, maybe heaps of years before that. But particularly recently, I think we've really seen the need for hope as it's been taken away from us. The things that we can hold on to, we, we hold on to them. Hope, it like drives us forward, it brings meaning to our life in the present. Now, for the Christian, like our hope, where we place our hope, is centered on one explosive event in human history the death and then the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. Like our whole faith, it hinges, it like centers on this event in history and the subsequent meaning of that that we find in the Scriptures. Without this event, we are hopeless. Like as Nadine was praying before, like we are utterly hopeless. In the truest sense of the word, as Paul says, without the resurrection, our faith is useless. It's futile. We're probably worse than being hopeless because we placed our hope in something that's false, But if it's true, if the resurrection is true, then it changes everything. It changes absolutely everything. Now, you're at church tonight, so you're expecting me to say the resurrection is true. That's no uh, party trick there. The resurrection is true. Uh, For me, you take away the resurrection and I'm gone. Anne said something very similar this morning. You take it away, we're gone. Our life has probably been a bit of a waste. So on what basis can I, what basis can Andrew, what basis can you hold on to the fact that Jesus is risen? Are we just people that are seeking hope, seeking to place our, our hope and our identity in something, just clinging to it because it soothes our need, because it, it makes us feel confident in something that we placed our hope in? How can we be confident? I think to, uh, to answer that question, we we'll just ask two very basic ones. Did Jesus actually rise from the dead? Can we actually believe it? And then if so, so what? What's it matter if Jesus rose from the dead? What impact does it actually have on us? Like you might believe that people landed on the moon. Cool fact, doesn't actually change your life. What is it about Jesus' resurrection that has so much meaning? We're going to go on a bit of a journey together in seeking that. And it's kind of like if you're going to pick a restaurant now, for the younger crowd, maybe the older crowd have caught on, you might jump on the Instagram. You have a look, you have a look on, on their website, whatever. Like, oh, that, that looks good. Like, yeah, I'm going to go there. But maybe before that, or before you go, you might look at some reviews. You have a look at what other people have said who've, who've been there. You get those two things together and you might decide, yeah, I'm going to go to that restaurant. And that's the kind of journey that we're going to take today as we look in the scriptures. So, for the first part of our exploration, uh, exploring, is the resurrection a fact? Can we believe it? Did it happen? There's heaps of places we can go for that. Got a little bit of time tonight, uh, not too much. And I think the first place to go, which is really helpful, is where Billy started with us tonight, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, where Paul says this is where we take our stand, where he declares that the resurrection is a literal historical event. If you've got your Bible open, uh, keep it open, or you're probably in John, It'll be on the screen. Um, This is 1 Corinthians 15, verse 3. Paul says, For what I received, I passed on to you, as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day, according to the Scriptures. And he appeared to Cephas, so that's Peter, one of the apostles. Then he appeared to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 brothers and sisters at the same time most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Now what's quite interesting about this section in Paul's letter is that it's not Paul's original words. Not that Paul didn't write it, but he's quoting something. He's quoting what the ancient historians believe to be an early gospel creed. Something that the earliest people said. Kind of like, oh, sorry, and we can know that uh, because at the beginning he said, from what I received, I passed on to you. Kind of like before he gets to Corinth, he's, he's received this and now he's passing it on to them way before the letter's written. And it's written in like a, a different way to the rest of his letter. So like I'm talking to you now, you kind of know how I talk. If I was to start saying, it is, is, a, it is a sensationally magnificent that Jesus should burst forth from the burrows of the grave and assert his glorious authority. Like that's... Far too eloquent for Matt to say. It can't be him, right? That's kind of what's going on here. Paul is quoting something uh, and saying, this is what has been going on for a long time. Some historians believe like in the first couple of years, some maybe even think months from Jesus' life. Why is that, why is that important? The earliest Christians believe in the resurrection from the very beginning, the very, very beginning, It wasn't something that the church made up a couple hundred years later. It wasn't like the disciples were thinking, oh man, we've gone a few years without Jesus. Let's think of something that's going to give us a bit of hope moving forward. The resurrection was their hope from the very beginning and that's what threw them forward. That's what sent the disciples to change their life completely. Some of them uh, to the point of death. There's two other things uh, that are in this little part of the letter which are really helpful. The fact that there's an empty tomb and there are witnesses. So the empty tomb is important because it says that that Jesus' resurrection was bodily. like Literally, his body wasn't there. It's a physical, literal resurrection. And secondly, there are witnesses. Paul says there are hundreds. There are hundreds and hundreds of witnesses. At one time, Jesus appeared to 500 of them. And many of these people are still living today. This letter that Paul wrote is a public document. People heard it. So Paul is saying, well, you don't, don't take my advice. Like, go ask them. You don't believe me? They're around. You can ask them. The, resurrection, the witnesses point to the resurrection. If you only have the empty tomb, you could conclude that the body was stolen or something like that. If you only have the witnesses, you could say that it were just hallucinations. They just made it up but you get the empty tomb and you get the witnesses attesting to Jesus' resurrection, you have an incredible event. A famous biblical academic, N.T. Wright, he says this, if you rule out the resurrection, you have a formidable challenge to come up with a historically plausible alternative explanation for these facts, as well as the birth and growth of the church itself. That is all to say, even for Paul, faith in Jesus' resurrection, it's not some crazy leap in the dark. If you heard, Ange, this morning, when you become a Christian, you don't throw your brain out. It's a literal historical event, and its event can be verified. Now, Peter, uh, Paul mentions um, a bunch of witnesses. He doesn't specifically mention him here, but he mentions the disciples, and one of them is John. John, who is the guy that we believe wrote the letter uh, that Hannah read, uh, wrote the gospel that Hannah read for us before. And his version of events gives us something really quite, I think, unique and helpful for us as we think about the resurrection. Because John is a very rational thinker. Now, when Hannah read it before, you might have been like, I didn't, I didn't hear John. He wasn't mentioned there at all. The tradition tells us that the, gospel, the disciple whom Jesus loved, which is the one who was with Peter, this is John. So, John is the one who ran with Peter to the tomb. He, ran, he runs there, he gets there first, but he stands at the entrance. He doesn't quite go in yet. Then Peter comes and barges in and he gets right in there. Kind of like Ange and I, right? Ange, I'd outrun Ange, I'd get there way before him, but I'd probably be a bit more inquisitive and I'd look, I'd look at the tomb. Ange, fearless leader, he'd be straight in there. That's what's kind of going on here. Now, I quite like John, uh, I, I like his character. <laughs> But he does have something very interesting for us. I don't know if you picked it up, but when Peter and John get there, they're looking. They're looking in the tomb. Now, we can't pick it up in our English Bible, but the Greek uses a word, theoreo, which basically means to reason or, or to ponder, where we get our English word theorize from. They're looking, and they're trying to come up with a theory as to what they're seeing. Like What is going on? Like if something kind of unexpected happens in your life, you see a car accident, or something crazy happens at a TV show you're watching, you're trying to reason, you're trying to think about like, what has caused these events to happen. That's what John is doing. He's applying his rational thought. Now there are three things that's kind of caught his attention. The, the stone has been rolled away, that's pretty unexpected. Jesus' body isn't there, that's certainly unexpected. But what seems to really grab his eye? is the linen, the folded linen, sitting there. Now, you you might be aware, but in in those days, the the bodies were wrapped kind of like mummies that we see in documentaries or in ancient Egypt things, stops them smelling. They're wrapped up tight. So for John to see the linen folded neatly, orderly, it makes absolutely no sense to him. He starts to reason bit of poetic license here, but you can imagine him thinking, maybe it's grave robbers. Maybe they've come. But there's no chance they'd be grave robbers. Because if a grave robber came, like, why would they leave the linen there? That makes no sense. That's the expensive stuff. That's the good stuff. Like, Why would they take it off anyway? That would make the body smell. And even if they did do that for some strange reason, why would they fold it up neatly? Like as if their mum's coming to say, go to clean your room. Like Grave robbers just would not do that. No chance it's grave robbers, right? Maybe it's Jesus' friends. Maybe they've come, John didn't know. But why would they take the body, unwrap it, just so they can wrap it up, put it somewhere else? That makes no sense either. Maybe it's like, well, maybe Jesus just revived. Maybe suddenly somehow he could. But the Romans are very good at killing people. They excel in that department. And even if some crazy way he couldn't, this guy was beaten beyond black and blue. There was no way he could rip the linen off. And if he did, it would be ripped off, it wouldn't be folded there. Nothing fits the scene other than Jesus has been resurrected. What's John's conclusion from his reasoning? He saw and believed. He has no idea how it happened. He's still going to come to terms with what it actually means. He certainly wasn't expecting it to happen. The Jews, they believed in a resurrection, but not in the middle of time. John, he's used his rational thought and his experience and his reasoning to determine that Jesus had risen. He hadn't actually even seen the risen Jesus yet, but he believes like Arthur Doyle says through his character, Sherlock Holmes. When you have eliminated what you know could not be possible, whatever remains, however improbable, must be the truth. What is so encouraging about John's witness here, and what is so warming, is that John resembles many of the journeys that that I take, that, that you've taken, or that you could take. Christianity unashamedly says these are historical events. Jesus' life, his death, his resurrection, they can be reasoned. They can be thought through. They can be investigated. And John is the first person to believe in the resurrection of Jesus, and he hasn't even seen him yet. And we can believe too. Maybe you're in a similar place to John, standing outside the faith, but you're looking, considering Let us encourage you, please keep investigating. Keep considering, keep looking, keep applying your reasoning. There's plenty of resources available to help you out. Faith is certainly more than intellectual thinking and rational thought, but it's certainly not less. So, in our journey in investigating the resurrection, we've explored the fact that Jesus' resurrection is both historical and it's rational. There's some good evidence uh, to support it. There's plenty more. Go look for it. Go find it. Think about it. But as I just said, the resurrection is more than just intellectual thinking. And perhaps a bit more comforting and maybe more compelling to you is that Jesus' resurrection is incredibly personal. It is incredibly personal. One story in the Bible which highlights it so well is the accompanying character here, Mary Magdalene. She's the woman who goes to the tomb first, and after Peter and John have left, she's the first person to literally see and witness and hold the risen Jesus. Now, Mary Magdalene, we know a very small bit about her, but we know from Luke chapter 8 that she was a demon-possessed person. She had seven demons in her, so that means she's just the ultimate source of a social outcast. She is way on the outer of society, hopeless. Jesus comes, he he casts the demons out of her, and she follows him. And we know that she saw Jesus die, buried, resurrected. And then in in this encounter in John, I hope you could really capture and feel the deep emotion and love she has for Jesus. like She's standing at the tomb, weeping crying they've taken the body away she's horrified she's distressed jesus body has gone this is the state that she's in crying weeping it's in that moment that the risen jesus comes to her mary has an interaction with the angels but then in verse 14 she turns and she sees jesus but she can't recognize him she can't see him for who he is. Now, just behold the absolute gentleness of Jesus here. Like, this is the risen king. And what does Jesus do? He says, Woman, why are you crying? Can you describe this person that you're looking for? Like, he doesn't jump out at her and say, Oh, it's me! I'm risen, I'm alive. Mary, can't you see? He doesn't even say to Mary, hey Mary, don't you remember I said I need to die and then I'll rise again? He doesn't say that to her either. He doesn't come as a sergeant demanding submission. He comes as like a counselor seeking insight. The risen Jesus comes as a gentle, loving, still other-centered person. Tell me your pain. Who is it that you're looking for? She says to him, still thinking that she, he's the gardener, Sir, if, you, if you've carried him away, tell me. Tell me where you put him and I'll go get him. There is still no way that Mary can recognize who Jesus is. But his response is simple and incredibly gracious. He calls her by name. Mary. He calls her by name, He chooses her, a reformed mental patient at least, to be his disciple, like having heard her name be called by the risen jesus she you can see she turns to joy uh, from her despair, she runs she's, she embraces Jesus, and just behold the grace of Jesus at this point, like do we see what 's going on here? He calls her by name, and then tells her to be the first messenger that Jesus is risen. She's the first one to declare the Easter message. The first one to say, I have seen the risen Lord. Like how much more vivid, how much more powerful can the message of Jesus get? In a time where a woman's testimony was considered rubbish, considered nothing, Jesus chooses her. He chooses the lowly things of this world to be his messenger. He is saying, I don't choose based on your work, I choose based on my work. I don't choose based on social status or pedigree. This is an incredible demonstration of the grace of Jesus and the ethics of his kingdom. In several ways, this encounter with Jesus and Mary is a demonstration of how many encounters with Jesus, if not all, will happen. Even if we're looking for Jesus, he needs to reveal himself to us, and he will extend that grace. As we see in the interaction with Mary, the resurrection, it opens up like this intensely, intensely personal and intimate connection with the Lord Jesus because he is risen. That kind of grace and that personal intimacy also brings us back to Paul. And the comments that he made at the back end of chapter fifteen, and especially Paul's comments after the creed, which gets to the effects of the resurrection. Because after we like, like what we read before, he gives the accurate, gives the, the the strict historical facts of Jesus' death, his resurrection, the witnesses. But Paul doesn't leave it as some kind of intellectual exercise. He doesn't even leave it as his like crowning theological knowledge and glory. Paul immediately goes to explain the effect the resurrection of the Lord Jesus has had on him. If you have a look, verse 9, he says, For I am the least of the apostles, and do not, even be, do not even deserve to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was in me. The news of the risen Lord Jesus Christ, it changes him completely. It has a deep effect. Now, I know we're not all parents here, but I know, I'm sure you can appreciate when someone becomes a parent, it's not just an intellectual thing. It completely changes that person. In the same way, the resurrection of Jesus has completely changed Paul. Now we had two baptisms here recently. We had Nick and James standing up here, real life examples of people who've intellectually believed in the resurrection of Jesus, but it's completely changed them. The grace of God has completely changed their life. They've thrown off the old self. They've they've in full knowledge and in full faith that Jesus has risen again. And they live in, by fueled by the grace of God. Now I'm indebted in many things in this sermon to the work of Tim Keller, but one quote in particular that stood out to me uh, in his rec- he said this in his most recent book. He said, "Belief in resurrection, Jesus' resurrection, that is, can change you wholly, but not through intellectual assent alone. It is only meeting the risen Lord personally and uniting with Him by faith that we are changed." Friends, the thing about the resurrection is that it changes us. If we wholeheartedly believe, repent, and have faith in the Lord Jesus, then his resurrection, his hope, becomes ours as well. And the resurrection, it opens up this new reality to us. The death of Jesus, it breaks the chains and the weight of sin. And the resurrection of Jesus brings us the power to then live out the new freedom which he has brought for us. We need both the death of Jesus and his resurrection together for that. It's like if there was a dead person strapped to a bed, chained to a bed, dead. If you break the chains, but the person is not back, brought back to life, that's pretty pointless. You bring the person back to life, but they're still chained, that's just torture. The freedom needs to be brought and the chains need to be broken and there is life. Jesus' death and his resurrection brings us that new life. And we go and we live in the hope and the new life that Jesus offers for us. The hope of the resurrection, it brings so many things, to just touch on a few. Like most basically and most powerfully perhaps, is that we don't follow a dead saviour. We don't follow like a dead moral teacher. No, we follow, we have relationship with the risen Lord Jesus, the King. We have the opportunity every day to relate with him, to grow personally deeper and deeper every day. But we also know that God cares about the whole being. He cares about all of us, mind, body, and spirit. Meaning that gives us the ultimate reason to change our whole way of life. If Jesus raised from the dead, it changes the way we conduct our relationships. It changes the way we view status and wealth. It changes how we approach issues and engage with social justice. It changes how we view things of race because the way of Jesus has been ushered in the kingdom of god has come the new reality is open to us jesus resurrection also means we have we are forgiven there's no more shame there's no more guilt we're forgiven we have a relationship with god again and we also know that death is defeated that is a beautiful hope because death is not the end the sting of death is gone Just as Jesus Christ was raised to life, if we're in him, we will be raised too. The resurrection is a glorious victory. It opens up that new reality for us. And as with every Easter, and every day, every time you get to hear about the death and resurrection of Jesus, it's an invitation. It's an invitation to consider, to investigate him. So if you don't know him, please continue to investigate ask your questions, think, approach the Lord Jesus. And if you do know him, if you get to celebrate the resurrection, keep chasing after him, keep enjoying him, keep living out the ethics of his kingdom and enjoy the blessing of his presence through the Holy Spirit in you. Our king is risen. And we celebrate and we live in that reality every day until he returns. Let me pray. Father, thank you so much for raising Jesus from the dead. As a church, we declare that, Jesus, you are risen. You are our Lord and you are our God. Thank you so much for bringing in your kingdom, the kingdom of God. Thank you for bringing us to life and giving us the freedom to live it out. Thank you for giving us then the power through your Holy Spirit to live it. We pray that your kingdom comes on earth as it is in heaven. Father, we praise you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.